Are you dealing with the trials of a difficult marriage or going through a separation or divorce? Welcome to the club, friend. Life is messy and it can be hard. I'm Jen Zingmark, a Christian life coach, and I have good news for you. There is a path to find hope, healing, and happiness, no matter what your circumstances are, and I can help you find joy in your journey. So let's go. Today on the podcast, I am interviewing Marco Brown. He owns Brown Family Law in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Brown Law specializes in family law and actually helps more people through divorce than any other law firm in Utah. And Marco loves all things Italian, as well as his family, including his wife, Demarie, and their three children. Welcome, Marco. Hey, thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you for taking the time to join me today. I'm so excited to learn some valuable insights for my audience. Please share a little bit about yourself and your life, where you're from, and I'm curious why you chose family law. Sure. So let me kind of address the second first. I started a law firm in 2010. And in the beginning, I did everything, everything that came in the door because I was really bad at this thing I was I was doing. I didn't know how to be a lawyer really i didn't know how to be how to be a law firm owner so i just took everything and i had a, a sister from my mission who came in and her husband had uh, had cheated on her and needed a divorce and i needed money so i stayed up until i think three o'clock in the morning the night before we met at 9 a.m and learned everything i could about utah divorce because i literally knew absolutely nothing then she came in and we talked through things I helped her out on the case, got a really good result for for her and her kids, kind of minimized the damage to them and you know, did what I thought was was right, got to the end of it, and I really liked it. I felt good about it and I enjoyed it. And then people started coming in more and more for divorce. And I started doing it more and more. And I figured I was really good at it, like really good at it. And you know, my approach seemed to seem to work well for them and for me. And after a while, I just decided that that was what I was best at. And that's what I was going to do. We need you. So it's oh. good that you're good at it. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. It, it's one of those things that, man, you, you think your life is going to go one way and you have a general idea about it. And then you figure out that your acumen is in something you never really anticipated, but then you go with it because it's it's easy to like things that you're good at. Right. And I tell law students that and people that all the time, like, don't find your passion so much because sometimes that works, but most of the time it doesn't. Like, just find the thing that you're best at and beat it and beat it and beat it and just go with it. Right. So I love that. That's how we got into that. Now, as for me, I, I grew up uh, as a kid in Alaska, a village of 85 people in the middle of nowhere and hunted, fished, played with my dogs. My dad ran a salmon hatchery out there. My mom was an air traffic controller. Loved that life. It was great. Eventually, you have to get around other people, though. So we moved into Anchorage and I did high school and then went to BYU after that and did what one does at BYU, which is to find a blonde Texan girl and marry her. Oh, that's awesome. Good for you. I'm a Southern girl. I'm in South Carolina. South Carolina is a beautiful state. My goodness. Yeah. So cool. And your food down there is fantastic. I know. It's too good. My audience is primarily LDS. And I really like that you speak about how to avoid divorce. Mm -hmm. Although I'm a divorce coach, I am an advocate for marriage. And I encourage all of my clients to do everything that they can to save their marriage before considering divorce. 
So I love that you also have that philosophy. How do you recommend to your clients that they avoid divorce? Sure. And this is ultra, ultra important. Like we should all be bullish on marriage. Uh, sorry, I'm going to go off on a tangent for a second. I don't mind. But there is this really, really strange kind of vein in popular culture that marriage is terrible. Marriage is terrible for men. Marriage is terrible for women. I'm like, have you never been a man? Like, oh my goodness. Like being alone as a man is just awful. Like I don't, I don't get this stuff. It's all complete crap. Marriage and kids, the best thing in the world. And you should make the investment and maximize the chance that that is successful. So the, the answer to your question is really make the investment. So if somebody goes with me, to get a divorce, they're probably paying to the tune of like $10,000 to get a divorce, okay? Because we're good at what we do and we charge for what we do. But I tell people all the time, don't pay me that money. Instead, invest $10,000 in trying, literally $10,000 in trying to save your marriage. Now, sometimes that can happen because the die is cast, but what people should do in order to stay married and, and to maximize their marriage is make that investment. Make the time investment and the resources investment in yourself and in your spouse, in your family, in your kids, yes, but really in you and your spouse. So what does that look like? Spend time together, get on the same page when it comes to religion and the kids and family, grow together, do all of these things as, as much as you can. Because people ask me all the time, what's the number one cause of divorce? And it's not adultery. It's not money issues. Like that stuff obviously makes it worse. But most of the time, it's just people have not paid attention to their marriage for a very long period of time. We're talking years, like three, five, seven, 10, 15 years. And then something happens. And that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. But if you had paid attention over the last seven years and made a real investment in your marriage over that time, you probably never would have got to that place. And that might sound harsh, but you know, reality is harsh. Yeah, I agree completely. And I have the same philosophy. It takes an investment of time, money, effort, energy to make a successful marriage. And people sometimes jump to spending that money on attorneys when they're not willing to invest in their marriage. And it's really sad. I, I yeah. agree with you completely. So that being said, there are definitely cases where divorce is the best option. What is your advice for how to be successful in a divorce case? My number one rule is always be nice. Okay. And that might sound weird coming from a divorce attorney, but if you are going through divorce, so that is necessary and you're going through it for whatever reason, if you're nice to the other side, now that doesn't mean roll over and just take whatever they're, you know, they're giving you. No, you can fight for yourself. You can fight for your kids, but you can be nice about it. And if you are nice, you're much more likely to get a good result. You're much more likely to impress the judge if you have to go to court and you're much more likely to minimize the damage to your kids. There's really no reason to be a jerk to the other side. Doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter what they say. If you turn into a jerk, you're just going to ratchet up the temperature. You're going to spend way more money and you're going to hurt your kids. Yeah. So simple. I love it. And especially <laughs> in divorce, when you're dealing with powerful emotions, a lot of disappointment and unmet expectations and a lot of blame going around, it's a lot easier said than done. I love the idea that it's just be nice. It can go a long way. Yeah. So for those of us who don't really know a lot about the law and about how divorce works, 
And I know it's different in every state, so you can speak generally about the difference between a at-fault divorce and no-fault divorce, and how do these distinctions impact the divorce process? Sure. So I think, if I'm not mistaken, there are no at-fault jurisdictions anymore, states. So when it's at fault, what that means is somebody has to be at fault for the divorce or you can't get the divorce, right? So somebody has to commit adultery. Somebody has to abandon the other person. Somebody has to be a drunk or a drug user, something something along those lines, right? And then you can get a divorce. If you just don't like each other, then you couldn't get one, right? right. Uh, and then no fault came about, if, if I know my history correctly, the late 60s, early 70s. And really, anybody can get a divorce for any reason. You don't have to say anything. And that's where irreconcilable differences kind of comes from, right? You, irreconcilable differences just means that we don't want to say why we don't like each other anymore. And we just right. want to get divorced. So in all practical effect, though, there, there's no real difference between the two. And, and what they figured out was making people jump through that hoop. It doesn't really save marriages because they're they're irretrievably broken at, at that point anyway. So let's just go with no fault. Now, the, the tough thing with no fault is that if you're the spouse that doesn't want to get divorced, there's nothing you can do to save your marriage because all it takes is one person to, to get divorced. And that is pretty unfortunate. You know, we have a lot of those situations where my clients don't want to get divorced at all. And I just have to tell them, man, there's nothing I can do. The only thing is you convincing your spouse not to divorce you. And I'm not sure how that works at this point. Yeah. And it's true. It takes two people to make a marriage work. And if one person mm -hmm. decides they're done, they want out, then that's it. It's not possible. So it makes sense that one person can decide to get a divorce and that's it. Yep. So what are the legal considerations that people should be aware of before going into the divorce process? People fight about two things in divorce. They fight about kids and money. So what you need to figure out is how your divorce is going to affect child custody and how it's going to affect your money. And this is really state specific. So different states will look at different things when it comes to child custody. So let's take, for example, California. California has become kind of the vanguard of 50-50 for parents. It's actually pretty hard not to get 50-50 out there. So they put a real premium on the presumption of 50-50 parent time. Other states like Utah doesn't do that. We have more 35-65 or 60-40 sort of presumption. But here in Utah, we put much more emphasis on the status quo, like what you were doing with the kids right before you got divorced, right? Was mom watching the kids 90% of the time and dad was away, traveling, working 10% of the time, right? That's a big, big deal. So it just depends on your state and what your state finds to be persuasive. And when it comes to money as well, that can be complicated. Usually it's kind of a 50-50 thing, and we'll discuss that more as we go on here. But in some states, it's not like that. You know, in, in Utah, we deal with businesses, for, for instance, especially service-based businesses, very, very differently than Arizona does. So you have to sit down with an attorney and you have to figure out in your particular situation, what do the laws in your state, what do they determine? Like, how is it going to, how is it going to pan out for you? And, and you can only know that by going to an attorney where you are and sitting down and paying, pay that attorney. Don't do free consultations. Those are, those are garbage. Pay that attorney for actual legal advice, come in and be really honest with the attorney and have a, have a very open conversation. 
Yeah, that's really good advice. I recommend the same thing. You need someone to represent you and advocate for you that knows the law, understands all the complexities of your state, your situation. You cannot possibly know that and represent yourself well. And that's no, situation. you you can't. And don't listen to your aunt's, you know, cousin's dog. I can't tell you how many times I sit down with people and they say, "Well, you should be able to get me X, right?" I'm like, "No, nope, I have no idea where you got that. That is not in the realm of possibility." And they say, "You know, my cousin got that. Where's your cousin live? Connecticut." I'm like, "Okay, not yes. in Connecticut. Things are different out here." So yes, we hear these stories. Yeah. yeah, they get stories from the internet, and getting stories from the internet is like finding them in a trash can. Like just pay an attorney to sit down with you and go over these things. Free consultations are, are great if you absolutely have to, but if you pay an attorney, you're much more likely to get much better answers. I agree. So let's talk about parents going through divorce. And I love that you speak about how to minimize the negative effects of divorce on children. What do you recommend? How can parents do that? The first is just don't get divorced, right? And that, that might sound flippant. I'm not trying to be flippant here. I'm really not. But look, divorce is a train wreck. And my job and every divorce attorney's job is to hopefully minimize the damage of a train wreck, okay? And, and manage it as well as possible. But it's still a train wreck. It's still going to hurt your kids. It's just how it goes. So if you can just not get in a train wreck by investing or doing whatever is necessary to save your marriage, then great. Now, of course, I always put this caveat in here. If you are being physically, sexually abused, anything like that, abuse situations, get out. Please get out. My my mom went through that in her first marriage. Like I admire her for getting out after six months, even though she was pregnant. Like it was a very difficult situation for her. Please get out because that type of situation, staying in that will damage your children more than getting divorced at that point. Okay. Yeah. But other than that, you know, try try to stay married. If you're getting divorced, though, again, be nice to the other side when you're going through litigation that keeps the temperature down, means you're going to spend less money, there's less acrimony. Because if you think you can go through a hardcore litigation with your soon-to-be ex and hide that from your kids, hide the disdain you have for the other person from your kids, you are absolutely up in the night. You, <laughs> you cannot, you cannot do it. Your kids sense it. They know that you hate the other person if you're going through that sort of situation. And sometimes that's a necessary evil. Great. You know, we try to deal with that. But being nice, not making it super litigious is really going to save your kids quite a bit. The other things here, never bad mouth your spouse to your children. I don't care what your spouse has done to you. Be an adult and don't bad mouth your spouse to your kids. You are a jerk to your children if you do that sort of thing, because your kids see themselves as half you and half the other person. And you are literally like taking it to your kids when you do stuff like that. It's not acceptable. And I'm I'm really forceful about this because I just see it so often that parents do this sort of thing and it ruins their children. So please don't do that at all. Don't allow your mom to do it. Don't allow your brothers and sisters to do it. Absolutely no bad mouthing. And you want to talk about your soon-to-be ex in the absolute best light possible, okay? Do not tell your kids why you're getting divorced. You don't need to share that, right? Yeah. So, there are lots of these sorts of things, but really it's just keeping your kids away from the litigation process and insulating them from it as much as possible. And then the other thing is, 
you know, take care of yourself. You need to take care of yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually through this process because it can be very, very taxing. And if you let yourself go, then your kids are going to see that and and they're much more likely to, to let themselves go as well. Yeah, such good advice. I appreciate all of that so much. Taking care of yourself is so important. And being the adult, staying the adult in this situation, I know it's challenging and it feels like those little children, they're on your side. They're your allies when they're with you. And it feels like I can talk to them or they get it, but you have to stay the adult in this situation and not burden them with these adult problems and these adult situations that they cannot understand. I have seen in my own life growing up with parents that are divorced and going through my own divorce, kids figure it out. You don't have to tell them. They can grow up and make their own decisions about whatever happened and why it happened and all the reasons and and who's at fault. It's best to let them make their own decisions and let them do that as adults when they're children. Let them just be children and deal with the changes that they're going to have to deal with through that whole process as children and not be burdened with those adult responsibilities and labels and blame. Your kids are not your allies. Your kids are your kids. Treat them like your kids. So true. Let's talk a little bit about child support. People ask this question all the time. I'm sure you get this. How is it calculated and what are the factors that influence child support? So so this is Utah specific, but my understanding, again, like I know lots of divorce attorneys across the United States at this point is pretty much how it all goes. It's really a function of two things. It's a function of how much each parent makes, their gross monthly incomes, and then the time that the child spends with each parent, okay? The parent with most of the time with the kids will probably get child support in some amount, right? But that amount will really depend on how much that parent makes and especially how much the other parent makes. So it's really just a function of those two things. I can tell you in different states, the numbers, the absolute numbers of child support vary drastically, very different sort of legal regimes in in the different states, which is again, why you need to sit down with an attorney and figure this stuff out. But it really is just a function of incomes and then time with the kids. Okay. So interesting that it can vary so much between states. So what are the factors in determining spousal support or alimony? Is that still a thing? I think there are a lot of misconceptions about this aspect of divorce. Can you clarify any of that? So when it comes to how alimony is determined, again, this is Utah specific, but again, I think this applies kind of generally. So what we do to figure this out is we look at the spouse that makes the least amount of money and how much that spouse makes and then what the standard of living during the marriage was. Okay. So the standard of living is kind of the necessary expenses and the normal expenses that came out of a family. So let's say you spend $10,000 a month as a family, okay? And then the spouse who makes the least amount of money makes $7,000 a month. That spouse needs $3,000 in order to get back up to the $10,000, right? Because you make seven, you need to get back up to 10. Then what you do is you do the same calculation with the other spouse, the spouse that makes more money. So let's say that just for sake of ease here, that spouse makes $13,000 a month and has $3,000 left over, right? So you can right. give $3,000 to the one who needs seven and everybody gets to 10. Okay, it never works out like that. but That would be the yeah. ideal scenario. <laughs> so really what you're trying to do is you get the spouse that makes the least amount of money back up to the standard of living enjoyed during the marriage by taking from the spouse that makes more money, right? Now, the problem is there's almost never enough money to go around. They have problems and, and money problems is one of the big things. So in that sense, you're really, 
really trying to divide too little money. And alimony is actually the most complicated calculation that we have to do as divorce attorneys and in other states, you know, kind of the same thing. It becomes very complicated very quickly. Now, some of the, the misconceptions about alimony is one that somebody always gets alimony. I think alimony is only ever awarded in about 30% of divorce cases nationally. And the other misconception is that alimony is sufficient for the spouse who makes less money. It is not. It's almost never sufficient. I think the average alimony award is like 300 bucks a month, something along those lines. So the spouse that gets alimony is still going to need to work. I tell everybody, you're going to need to work whether or not you're going to pay alimony or whether you're going to receive alimony. You're going to need to work 40 hours a week. Sometimes it doesn't work. Maybe you're married to a CEO or you know, a pilot who makes a whole bunch of cash, but that almost never happens, to be honest with you. So that's, I think, the second biggest misconception. I'm interested to hear from you what you hear from people. and What I hear a lot of is that everyone gets alimony. I should get alimony. 70 or 80% of people get alimony, and I'm not aware of very many people that get it. And I'm really glad that you shared the average amount is 300 a month. I think people have ideas and they hear these stories from aunts and cousins and people of thousands of dollars and they feel like they should be entitled, but I just think that's not true. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Now, I'm going to say, though, that average is average, right? So that's the middle. And then there's a lot of room at the tails, statistically speaking. So again, you need to sit down with a divorce attorney and they'll be able to give you a, a better idea depending on the state that you're in. Yeah, that's really good advice. So I've heard a lot about alternative dispute resolution methods, such as mediation and collaborative law. And how does that work in the process? And how can that benefit people to come to a quicker or maybe less expensive divorce resolution? Yeah, the benefit really is that you just spend a lot less time and money fighting about things. And the other great thing is, you're the master of your universe at that point. You can come up with an agreement because you know your kids better than everybody else. You know your money better than everybody else. And it might not be perfect. It's never going to be perfect, in fact, but it's going to be most of the time a whole lot better than a judge in a black robe telling you from on high what your life is going to be like when that judge knows nothing about you before the case starts and will never think of you again after the case ends. Yeah. Like, judges here in Utah have on average, I think, a thousand cases before them at any given given time. They do their best, but they simply don't have time to really care or take that much time. So you get to make these determinations for yourself. So that's the real advantage of ADR, alternative dispute resolution, especially mediation. Very, very quickly in mediation, what happens is, so let's say that you're the client, right? You're the one getting divorced. You're going to go into a room with your attorney, and then the other side's going to go into another room with his or her attorney. And the mediator is a third party and neutral, not a judge, just there to to help facilitate communication, go back and forth, give ideas, really kind of help people through that process. And I can tell you that it's really, really successful. 99% of our cases are resolved through mediation ultimately. Wow, that's great. I highly recommend it. It's a good way to go. You get to best represent your interest, your family, your children, what's most important to you. Really quickly, collaborative law is essentially like we agree that we will not litigate this thing. We will just get in and negotiate and so on and so forth. So collaborative law is an interesting idea, but it hasn't really taken off that well, not nearly as well as people thought it would years and years ago, because the culture, especially here in Utah, the culture is such that we just get to mediation anyway. So essentially we're doing the collaborative law thing. Now, if you're in Vegas, where I don't think anybody has ever learned to negotiate a single thing. <laughs> <laughs> or, in, 
you know, in places where it's much more litigious, right? They're just meaner to each other than maybe collaborative law is a, you know, necessary thing. But I would just say, look, mediation's the deal. Talk to your attorney and try to get into mediation as quickly as possible. Yeah, that sounds good. So what is your advice for someone who's looking at heading into divorce and they have to choose an attorney? How can someone choose the best attorney for them? Yeah. So I think the best way to do this is you talk to attorneys that you know, okay? And you ask them, like, who's the best divorce attorney that you can send me to? And you do this with however many you can, five, 10, whatever it is, right? And you see if you get the same name popping up multiple times. So if you get the same name, that probably indicates that that person is one, fairly well known, and two, probably pretty good at their job. And then you go interview attorneys. Now, another way to do this is five-star reviews. And you can kind of play this game if you're an attorney and, and bulk up your five-star reviews. So you don't want to look at, you don't want to see somebody with all five-star reviews because they're just cooking the books. Yeah. You, want, you want to see a lot of five-star reviews and some one-star reviews because you want people to hate that attorney too. Like no one's perfect. No attorney's perfect. No law firm's perfect. You want to know that what you're looking at is legit. So those are a couple different ways. And then you should sit down with the attorney and the attorney is there to really pay attention to you and to listen to your story, figure out what your goals are, answer your questions, reassure you, then that's probably, you know, the person to go with. If you feel that the attorney doesn't do that and just listens to you in order to get you to the point where they can tell you to hire them and to sell you, then that's probably not the right attorney, right? The attorney is going to sell you. I'm just going to be straight up. When people meet with us, we sit down, we talk with them, we go through their goals, we give them a roadmap of how we're going to accomplish that with them and so forth. And we determine whether or not we want to represent them. And then once we do that, we're going to sell that person, okay? We're going to do everything we can to get that person to hire us because we're the best at what we do and we feel an obligation to help that person. But that's after we've done the initial work to determine that and to see if we can actually get the person what they want and give them a realistic assessment. So that's what you want to look for. If they're just a sales pitch, go somewhere else. And here's the other thing too. You really need to listen to your gut because if your gut tells you to trust an attorney, good. If your gut tells you not to trust the attorney that you're talking to, your gut's always right. When your gut tells you no, it's always right. Listen to it. Yeah, that's really good advice. I think there's a lot to be said for just clicking, <laughs> speaking the same language, understanding each other, feeling like they get me. I think I can talk to them. I think that goes a long way. And this is another one too. I forgot to mention this before, but you want to look for an attorney who is appropriately aggressive. There's a spectrum here. So you got like dead fish on one hand and then like a pit bull on the other, right? You don't, yes. want, you don't want either one of those, okay? Yes. So you want somebody that's appropriately aggressive. And what I mean by that is... You want somebody who will negotiate first because negotiation and being nice is going to get you what you want most of the time. But there are situations where the other side is being intransigent or they're misbehaving and your attorney needs to put on boxing gloves and punch people in the face. And you need somebody that will do that. Okay. You need a Teddy Roosevelt, you know, speak yeah. softly, but carry that big stick because sometimes you actually got to use it. Yeah. So you want to try to find that person as well. You certainly don't want the dead fish. You don't want the pit bull either because that's just another way to, of saying jerk and attorneys hate him. Judges hate him. You just don't want that. Yeah. They're going to be difficult to work with. They're going to cause problems all along the way. Yeah. And it costs you so much money. So yes. Much money. Yes. I've seen that with many people. So good advice. So good. 
it's good to meet someone who really cares, who's passionate about helping people advocate for themselves through divorce. I love that you call it a train wreck. I call it just a messy time. What I found is that I have a lot of colleagues and they're like bullish on divorce, right? They're like, no, you should get divorced because your life's going to be fine after that. And it's going to solve your problems. I'm like, no, absolutely does not. That's yep. complete crap. And yep. I just, I won't do that. You know, we're LDS. I have an obligation to speak truth about reality and I will not lie uh, or I try to lie as little as humanly possible. And, you know, the thing's a train wreck. It you know, is. Like I tell people the same thing and there's no green grass. It is never going to be better over there after divorce, whatever you're dealing with, unless it's extreme situations like you talk about abuse, neglect, your life is going to get more complicated, more difficult in pretty much every way you can imagine on the other side of divorce. And people don't change. Like you don't change because you get divorced. No. There's this great saying, one finds in Rome that which one takes to Rome. It's true. It's so true. And that person that you're so upset with, that you're angry with, you're going to keep dealing with them for the next 20 years. If you have children, you're still going to have that relationship with them. So going to be fighting over the kids and what's happening. And divorce isn't going to fix any of that. It's going to make it worse. You guys are both less incentivized to play nice and be nice to each other. So it gets yeah. worse. I tell people this all the time when I'm meeting with them, I say, look, I mean, if you want to go to trial and you want me to rip the other person's face off, fine. I'm a litigator. I actually like that. For me, that's just pure enjoyment. I love it. I love getting in the courtroom. I love doing that sort of thing. But you have to realize that if we do that, I'm going to do it at a very high level, very effectively, and I'm going to ruin your relationship with your ex for the next 20 years. So make that choice. Yeah. I love that you're so honest. That's what we need. That's what everyone needs when you're contemplating divorce, when you're going through the process, attorneys or coaches or anyone who sugarcoats it or gives them the wrong idea about what their outcome is going to be is not helping. So. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this has just been so lovely, Marco. I've really enjoyed everything that you've shared. And my purpose is really to help men and women find hope and joy in their lives, even though they're dealing with divorce. And this is something that you see up close and personal every day. People probably not at their best when they're dealing with a huge life-changing situation of divorce. And so my final question for you is what does finding joy in the journey mean to you? Yeah, I'm going to approach this a little bit differently, I think, than, than most people who are going to answer this question. So research indicates that human beings are not particularly good at knowing what actually makes them joyful and happy, okay? Because if we knew what made us joyful, we'd kind of do it all the time, but we don't. So we don't really know it. What we do know, however, is what makes us miserable. We're very good at identifying stuff like that as human beings. So what I tell people and what I do personally is I walk what I call the via negativa. So I just remove the things that make me miserable. And that tends to increase my happiness by quite a bit. I love and it. This is one of the knocks that people have against religion in general is that we have so many negatives, like we can't do this, we can't do this. Well, that's because we make ourselves miserable by doing things that make us miserable. So God tells us, don't do the things that make you miserable, right? And right. that actually increases our happiness more than doing the things that make us joyful. So I try to walk the via negativa. So for me, it's stuff like, uh, you know, if I stay up too late and watch too many YouTube videos, like I feel like garbage the next morning and I'm not getting enough sleep. You know, I eat too much at night. Uh, I don't give the requisite amount of time to my family. 
right? I miss time in the gym. I, I miss uh, date night with my wife. You know, these sorts of things. If I miss those, I know that it makes me miserable. So I eliminate those. And that's the first thing I do is I try to eliminate all that stuff. And then after that, I see how I feel. And I try to add a couple things that I know on a consistent basis make me happy. So I think it's mostly about walking the via negativa. That's great. No one's ever given me that answer before. Thank you so much, Marco. This has been such a pleasure. How can my listeners find you if they want to come and meet with you? Sure. So they can go to brownfamilylaw.com. Perfect. And I will link that in the show notes for today too. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. If you're ready to dive deeper into this work and learn the tools and the skills you need to change the trajectory of your life forever, go to ldsdivorce.com and sign up for a free consultation with me. This is just the tip of the iceberg, my friends. There is so much more. I would love to work with you and be your life coach.